you have your Bibles, you could turn to the 42nd chapter of Genesis as we continue our series. We'll read the last verse of Genesis 42 and then get into 43. Sometimes you might wonder, is the Bible really relevant to my life? There are a lot of facts, a lot of details in there, but is there a relevance? <clears throat> well, there always is, and there certainly are times when you read a text that is incredibly relevant and speaks to every one of us, and I think this is one of them. It's a long one because we're going to read the last verse of 42 and then all of 43. And the reason is because there's nowhere to cut it. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about all of this particular passage in the next uh, five hours, this message will be. <laughs> Beginning in verse of four, uh, 42, verse 38. But jo Jacob, their father, said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go down again, buy us a little food. Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and present a present, carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in your, the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back to your other, your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double money with them and Benjamin. They rose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into my house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was placed in our sack the first time that we are brought in. 
so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house. They said, oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. The servant replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they had washed their feet, when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to, the ground, to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much any of theirs. And they ate... They drank and were merry with him. The man was 105 years old when I buried him four years ago. At age 19, he was selling coal to fraternity houses at Penn State. Four years later, he founded the largest independent coal company in the state of Pennsylvania. He was the first guy to load railroad cards in continuous motion. He's the first one to use ammonium nitrate to blast away the overburden rather than dynamite. He's the first one to construct a centralized coal preparation plant that allowed him to ship high-grade metallurgical coal around the world. At age 28, he bought 10 acres of land, an old dump site between two railroad tracks. Within five years, he had constructed a home and built a beautiful pool and gardens that rivaled gardens the greatest in this state. In fact, people came from around the world to those 10 acres to walk those gardens and to see the white swans. In the late 1950s, he took a trip on the Trans-Siberian Railroad across Russia, 5,700 miles Two years later, in a Land Rover, he went from Pakistan to China across the Himalayas. 
1953, he represented the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania at the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. And there he met Winston Churchill. In 2007, he was the oldest skier to ever ski on Holiday Valley slopes in New York. He was 95 years old. But of all of his exploits, there is one particular thing he did that I will never forget. It was his 100th birthday. People gathered, almost a thousand people were gathering together at the YMCA in the town where he built it. He had hired a brass band and they were to play all kinds of celebratory music. But then something happened in the wee hours of the night before that party was to break out and news spread like wildfire. He had died in his sleep. Suddenly, instead of a birthday party, they were planning a wake. Nobody changed their plans. Everybody came to the Y in that center of that little town. The marching band, instead of playing celebratory music, began to play dirges and somber notes. And after about 20 minutes, a black hearse drove up right next to the building. And behind it, a long black limousine full of family. Because Chuck Trenz is here, I can refer to the hearse the way he does, the funeral coach. The pallbearers got behind the funeral coach. Two funeral directors pulled out the casket. The pallbearers lifted it and put it on a cart, and then they began this parade with family following down the sidewalk into the back door of the YMCA and onto the stage. And as the dignitaries took their place on the dais, the mayor arose. There were almost a thousand people in the Y. Choked up, he welcomed them and he said, It was not our intention to have a wake today. We expected a birthday party, but things changed. And he began to give tribute to this man. About five minutes later, suddenly the lid of the casket flew open. The dead man sat up and with a full microphone said, I'm not dead yet. And with that, the band broke into, for he's a jolly good fellow. It was all a gag. You say, how did he stay in a casket for over an hour? He installed a breathing tube. It wasn't a resurrection, it was a ruse. And yet until that lid opened, nearly a thousand people thought that he was dead. Just like Joseph. Look at verse 38. But Jacob said to his sons, My son Benjamin shall not go down with you to Egypt, for his brother Joseph is dead and Benjamin is the only one left. You see, Jacob is convinced that Joseph is dead. Now imagine how the other sons felt when he made this pronouncement. Benjamin is the only one left. 
I mean, these ten guys are standing there, and basically what his father, their father has said is, you don't matter to me. For the first time, he reveals his heart to his sons. And you know what his heart says? I really only had one wife I loved. Her name was Rachel. And Joseph and Benjamin were her offspring. So when they returned from Egypt a year earlier, with all of the bags full of food and money, they tell him that the prime minister of Egypt will not allow them to come back and get any more food unless they bring Benjamin with him. And he freaks. He says, in effect, over my dead body am I going to allow you to take Benjamin down to Egypt. And on the face of it is a logical conclusion. From everything that he knows, from everything that is reasonable, what everything his mind tells him and his heart tells him, Joseph is dead and he can't risk losing Benjamin. Based on everything he knows, to send him to Egypt is to lose him forever. And the reason the Holy Spirit gives an entire chapter to this story is to show us that so often what is logical to us is laughable to God. Centuries later, Solomon would say, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And here in this chapter, the Holy Spirit gives us a perfect example of why he says it. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the emptiness. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again and buy a little food. Now that makes sense. It's been over a year since they came back with food. And during this year, there's been absolute famine. There's no other place to get food. And so their father says, go down, get food. Judah makes it clear it's been over a year because he says to his father, you know, in this length of time, we could have, could have gone, gone down and come back twice. So why the wait? Why didn't they go down a few months after they had arrived back? The answer is clear. Jacob had made a decision. There would be no going down to Egypt with Benjamin. So think of it, with every passing day the food dwindles and yet he won't allow them to go back with Benjamin. The late Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Disraeli, once said, there is no education like adversity. And that's exactly what we see here. Because of his fear, the sacks are empty, there's no food. Because of his fear, he won't let the boys go back to Egypt. He won't let Benjamin go with them. They've blown through all their food in a year, and yet he is committed to what he believes, and that is Joseph is dead, and Benjamin would die too if he went with you. You see, the first consequence 
of leaning on your own understanding is a fear. And the consequence of fear is not food, it's famine. Second, notice the ego. Look at verse 6. Israel, their father, asks, Why did you treat me so badly to tell the man you had another brother? I mean, think of this. It's been a year. And yet he said, how come you treated me so badly to let that guy, you had another brother? I would have sent you back a long time ago, but you screwed me. Did you hear about the little boy who came back home from school one day? His mother said, didn't you get out of school an hour ago? Where have you been? Johnny said, I've been on my way. She said, what? Doesn't school end the same time every day? Here, you're an hour late. Why? She said, don't you take the same route home? He said, yeah, I took the same route home. Then why are you late? Johnny looked her in the eye and said, because of the cars. His mother said, what do you mean the cars? He said, yeah, you see, there's a patrol boy, and he's the one that takes us across the street, and he never will let us go across unless he has cars to stop. Do you know people like that? I know a lot of people like that. It's all about them. I mean, that's what Jacob's saying. Why did you tell that guy you had another brother? We're starving here because you told him the truth. All he can see is himself. John Barrymore, a famous American actor, once said, my greatest regret during my years on the stage was I couldn't sit in the audience and watch myself. There are so many people like that today. There's so many days I'm like that myself. I mean, maybe it's because I'm old and I've got gray hair and I can talk like this, but it seems like there's a pandemic of ego today and nobody's ashamed of it. You know, we used to keep it under wraps, but now it's on full display. I can't tell you the number of times I hear in the course of a week, I'm processing. I'm healing. And they speak of it as if it's a noble pursuit when all it is is focusing on themselves. You ever heard the name Matthew Henry? You have because I've mentioned it, but do you remember <laughs> Matthew Henry? A great biblical commentator of 300 years ago. One time he was robbed. And he went home and he prayed and he recorded the prayer. Listen to what he prayed. Lord, thank you that I've never been robbed before. Thank you the man only took my wallet, not my life. Thank you that I didn't have much in my wallet for him to steal. But mostly, Lord, thank you that I was robbed and I wasn't the man who robbed. You see, he understood. Now look at Jacob. Instead of asking his sons about the character of the ruler, he's too busy worrying about himself. Instead of fixating on the generosity of the ruler, all he can think about is his potential loss. 
And what he's doing is leaning on his own understanding, and when he does, he gets empty, and he gets egocentric, and there's one other thing that, gets, that happens here, and it happens to you and me all the time when we lean on our own understanding. We're empty, we're egocentric, and then thirdly, we engage in extortion. Look at verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and, pres- and carry as a present down to the man a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds, and take a double portion of money with you. Now, Joseph had said nothing about bringing gifts. His demand was clear. Bring your only, your youngest son, or youngest brother with you. In fact, until Benjamin appears... You won't see my face and you won't get any more food. You see, it's not about a payoff, it's about obedience. And yet in his emptiness and in his ego, he reverts to his old pattern. Remember when he tried to buy off his brother with sheep and goats? Remember when he he and his mom conspired to have the blessing Now he tries to buy the favor of the prime minister of Egypt with honey and pistachio nuts. And the more you think about this story, the more you see that the only nut here is Jacob. Someone has said, oh, how the human soul desires control. How we always want to pay our own way. How we must save face. How we must maintain our sovereignty. The result of emptiness and egocentrism is extortion. How can I make this turn out the way I want it to? And the result is delusion. But that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 14. Israel said, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. May he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. Do you see the shift? After more than a year of fear and emptiness and ego, after nucleating a plan to try to appease this guy, he finally decides to trust in the Lord. Look what he says. May God Almighty grant you mercy. You see, he's willing to let his Benjamin go. He's willing to relinquish control. He no longer is speaking like the old deceiver, but he's now talking about someone like someone who's wrestled with God and prevailed. His mind turns from himself and from that prime minister of Egypt to the Lord, and he uses a name for God that's very uncommon. The common name was Elohim, but here he uses El Shaddai. It's only used a few times in the Bible. We always point it out when it's used. The word shad means breast in Hebrew. And so what he's saying is, may the God who is like a nursing mother carry you and protect you and give you mercy. You see, he's shifted. Now, the poet is anonymous, but you know his words. 
I asked for fame, he gave me failure. I asked for strength, he gave me weakness. He gave me nothing that I asked for and everything I needed. And that is exactly what happens to Jacob and his sons. Look at verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, bring the men into my house. You see, Jacob had asked for mercy, but God Almighty gives him a lot more than he ever asked for. The ruler of Egypt said to them, you will go into my house today. That was a scandal. Egyptians hated Hebrews. They were shepherds. They were dirt men. Egyptians dwelled in cities. Hebrews to the Egyptian mind were people of the fields. The Egyptians considered Hebrews absolute lowlifes. And to bring Hebrews into your house, especially if the house was inhabited by a man of privilege in Egypt, it was a scandal. You say, but wait a minute, wasn't Joseph a Hebrew? Yeah, he was born a Hebrew, but for more than half of his life he lived as an Egyptian. He was a second in command of Egypt. To allow these men to come into his house was unthinkable. And yet think of what the Bible's telling us here. The product of leaning on your own understanding is emptiness, ego, and extortion. But the product of trusting in the Lord and leaning on Him is a seat at His table. Joseph says to his servant, take these men into my house. Slaughter an animal and make ready, for they will eat with me at noon. I mean, think of this. Joseph not only gives them grain, he gives them a feast. Their father had hoped for a little food in a sack. They get the unimaginable. They get the privilege of entering into the house of the ruler of Egypt, and they get to sit at his table. But that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 34. Portions were taken from Joseph's table and given to his brothers. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. Think of this. The one who Jacob thought would be imprisoned and killed. If he went down to Egypt, he would be done for. He becomes the most favored. In fact, the Bible says he gets five times the amount of food. And we've talked about this so many times. The number five in the Bible is always associated with grace. Jacob prays that God will give his sons mercy, but God doesn't. He gives them grace. You know, Solomon is right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Why? Because your understanding and my understanding is often wrong. And it's always wrong when it's based on fear 
rather than faith. So what about the decisions you're making? Are they based on your understanding? Or are they based on His understanding? That's a great question. I intend to ask that myself, of myself, throughout the week. I hope you do too. Until then, until next week, think about that.